welcome to Sonic Talk number 378. That's it. It's um, We're heading for three, well, 400 quite soon. Well, 12 weeks. What's well, going to be? It's going to be about three months' time. So not that soon, but, you know, another milestone. The 500 is going to be the big one, though, I think. If we ever make it to 1,000, that would be the really big one. But I'm not, uh, I'm not projecting that far into the future. Certainly not. Um, anyway, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. We've got a large and fulsome chat room who I'll uh, just bring in there. Um, there they are. Um, thank you very much for joining us. As ever, and also we've got our show sponsors, Isotope. Uh, remember, they are currently uh, pimping their RX4 sound restoration bundle, which is actually the dog's dangles. Actually, it's a very good piece of kit. And um, there is a competition which we have a winner for from last week who won a full working copy of RX4. And there will be another competition announced partway through the show when we will also bring uh, information about said RX4 if you've never heard about it. If you've not watched us before and this is your first time, we stream this live every week, Wednesday 4pm UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live. And the resulting video is uploaded to our YouTube channel. So if you like the kind of stuff that we do and you dig our banter, then uh, please do subscribe. Well, subscribe anyway, because we do a lot of other stuff that uh, you you might be interested in also. Uh, Reviews, news, interviews, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, welcome, everybody. I'm going to go to my first guest. Haven't seen Mr. Robbie Bronnerman for a while. How are you, Robbie? Robbie, of course. Well, at the moment, it would be fair to say you are a film composer, right? Yeah, just finished actually this weekend. We just finished the first bit of it. Yeah, so wow. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. An animated film, so totally new territory for us. But it was it was a lot of fun doing it. And how many yeah. minutes of music have you just uh, passed through your twenty stereo bus? Bloody hell! 20. Yeah, and it was it, it all half of it had to be really epic. It was like you know dinosaurs and you know big vistas and all that. So it was kind of a it was kind of ethnic meets massive orchestral meets dubstep meets everything. So it was kind of a lot of fun. Sounds like a blast. Yeah, yeah. And how were you syncing to picture? What do you use to actually kind of work to picture? Do you just import like movies into your DAW or how did you do that? Yeah, we just get, we just get a, um, a QuickTime sent to us, a sensible size. And I've got three monitors here. So we, we put it up on the third monitor and then we just, just crack on. Yeah. Because you work in Logic, don't you? Because I remember there's uh, in Logic that this was a big deal, wasn't there? There was the ability to bring lo- uh, QuickTime movies into Logic and output over Firewire, for goodness sake, or to separate monitors, so you can do all of that. Yeah, and then just we, when we're just sending stuff backwards and forwards, we can just export the movie back again to them just so they can view it with the sound on, and then we just send out stems at the end. So, yeah. Ah, so the, that, I guess that's the advantage of Logic being an Apple product because you get the kind of deep integration with QuickTime, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 actually Logic sixty four. I've had quite a few bugs with the movie stuff, which is which has been great because this is the first time I've done a movie project in X. So um, all that stuff's been sorted, and it's so much more elegant now. So yeah, nice, very good. Yeah, excellent. Sounds like a dream come true. So uh, lots of analog synthesizers or in the box for recall? <laughs> no, no. It was all it was all in the box. Although we did make a few sounds and put them in as audio. But yeah, we just couldn't. It's just not. It's just not too unwieldy. I heard of someone the other day who did a does all his film projects with modular stuff, which I just can't fathom how that's you know possible. Wow. Anyway, 
yeah. with uh, balls of steel, <laughs> I'd imagine, yeah. and perhaps a really strong management uh, team behind him who says, no, no changes are possible. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> the, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Yes. Well, I've got away with about three changes on this 20 minutes, so I think that would wow. be pretty quick. So you yeah. were quite far into the edit, so they didn't change the timings on you. No, that's that's apparently that's the beauty of working with animated movies. Generally, it's taken them like months and months to render that. So they, the, the idea that they want to go back and just hack stuff out is pretty unlikely. Ah, top tip there. So if you want to, if you want easy life, yeah, I go think for CGI. So. <laughs> CGI that's well down the road by the time you get to it, and I think you're pretty safe. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like the sound. That's top tips there. Well, also we're going to Mr. Gaz Williams in his garret in Bristol. Who uh, Gaz Williams, of course, you may recognise from Sonic Touch. Also, uh, uh, we've done some stuff on Cubase, um, which mm-hmm. if you saw the tempo mapping, which is brilliant actually, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And also, um, well, he's a bass player and producer too. A man of many strings. How are you, Gaz? Well, not that many strings. Four. You should. <laughs> five if you're feeling very proggy <laughs> oh no there's no five strings in prog that's uh that's um no anyway um yeah i was gonna say yeah great very good thank you been um been in a subterranean studio most of the day today so i'm still sort of uh just readjusting to daylight <laughs> ah yeah so i've turned all the lights off here i finally figured out if i switch this light on over no this light on over here, I don't look quite so dingy and dark compared to the rest of you. So I've, I think that's going to be my lighting setup from now on. I also want to say, Rob Parpen, <laughs> happy birthday. It's 50 years old today. The synth instrument and, well, he's a synth kind of everything. He's, his collection of synthesizers and his collection of software instruments. Thank you very much for all your good stuff, Rob. Happy birthday. And from... Happy birthday, Rob. Yeah, happy birthday, Rob. Happy birthday, Rob. <laughs> there we go. So, happy birthday, Rob. Um, but anyway, let's let's uh, let's move on. We've got topics and stuff. First one is actually this. This is uh, the Retronyms Wedge, pronounced W E J. JP from Retronyms. If you, uh, you know that we've been creating. Basically, he's been kind of you know a bit. P- they develop lots and lots of apps, uh, and they are basically a bit sick of. And we've made iPad sliding around and what have you. So they made this thing which has got uh, a power, it will power your iPad and work as a USB hub and a MIDI Wi Fi hub. Uh, but it will need iOS 8, which is a slight downside, but it's grippy as well. And it's interesting that, um, that you can basically, you know, and it's got a light show on the back <laughs> and an Arduino hackable board which allows you to get in there and sort of mod it and do all sorts of things. I must admit, I did I did order one today, a pre-order. I don't know how many they need to get, but um, you know, they're at 6%. They've got 30 days yet left. I mean, it, it, it seems like a good idea. You showed me this yesterday, Gaz, when you were over. Have you had a chance to look into it some more? I did, and um, I was initially really excited about it. I thought, ah, that's a very clever idea. Um, and after looking at it a little bit more, it just sort of struck me why on earth they didn't put midi din plugs on it as well you know i thought that maybe just two uh it's the fact that it works as like a double usb hub and i'm assuming that you can't plug a passive hub into it i think you can only uh have um two 
devices running off it. But at the same time, though, it's, a, it's that's a neat idea in terms of being able to have two USB class compliant MIDI devices because and it not taking up, you know, it not being plugged into the iPad. So um, so I well, actually, either you can actually use one of those USB connectors to power the iPad, which is quite cool. Uh, and have another thing connected to it or you could have your ipad plugged into an audio interface through the lightning connector and still be able to connect to it so in that respect it's quite good i just think it's a shame there's no didn't go far enough you think maybe i think so now i'm looking at it there's a lot of space on it but i mean maybe it is a maybe it is a cost issue i don't know maybe because it is reasonably affordable um but i should mention i mean this is only possible this device really is only possible um uh, with ios 8's mm. kind of uh midi over bluetooth I, there is mm. a third party well, there is a third party uh, apollo midi or something that would allow you to do it i think but um no uh no am i wrong about that i don't know well i was thinking well what about just using um rtp midi i mean if you've got something that will work with RTP MIDI, I mean, you will you would need something that would convert the MIDI into into network MIDI. But the but the iPad should be yes, I suppose. I mean, it's something at least. I mean, you could use RTP MIDI to talk to lots of things, but they would need some sort of network connection. So, it, you know, they could have put a network port on it. They could have put, like you say, MIDI ports. Mm. Um, mm. I think the um, yeah, I, I think it's there's lots of things they could have done, but perhaps you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great if they could incorporate sort of the iConnect technology into it as well. What the hell? Throw one of those in too. Let's have that <laughs> yeah. as well. Obviously, it'd yeah. be a lot more expensive, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. And I mean, at the moment, if you pre-order it, it's $99, which is about 60, 61 pounds or thereabouts. So it's... Um, yeah, I did it. I don't know why. I just I felt, I felt a bit <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I mean... One of the things I thought was quite appealing, I, I actually like the idea of the lights. I think that that's nice, especially, you know, from a live point of view, you know, that those lights would be kind of coming out of the audience. And there's something in the Arduino set there, which uh, means that it will respond to the music somehow. So I don't know if there's, uh, it, does it respond to the MIDI, does it? Uh, MIDI and audio, the, apparently. <clears throat> but I, oh, I, right. so far, that's not clear. Um, okay. Question uh, from uh, sorry, I was just I just went past. Uh, why dear dear DLS synth says wireless uh, internet latency, wireless Ethernet latency. Um, I haven't noticed any any with that to be honest, but I mostly use it for control rather than for um, triggering like drum sounds or whatever. So yeah, I, perhaps I wouldn't use it for absolutely rhythmically critical triggering. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I know um, Robbie. Yeah. What do you put your iPad on when you're using it, if you're still using it? Well, I I have it on a, um, I've got like a custom acrylic stand made here, which has got a um, a neoprene cushion on it that I've custom made. Of course. It's all very... I I feel a rival product coming on. I don't think you can see that on the desk here. Nice nice, nice dust cover over my stuff there. Uh, Yeah, I've just got it here. And it's Ah, on like this custom cover that's a part of my kind of array of stuff with lights on yeah of course lights you've got to have lights <laughs> <laughs> lights with everything you must be the southwest's biggest consumer of colored leds yeah yeah so um yeah so i, I it has to be ergonomic doesn't it? if you're going to use an ipad in the studio it has to be it has to be right there and it has to be usable in front of you so i i, I quite like 
you know where they're coming from with the, with the device um but i i don't know if i i don't know whether it's something i really need because i'm all set up with the eye connectivity thing and yeah it kind of does everything i need i don't really want to use as i've said before the ipad as a a be all and end all music making device on its own no i just want it to be kind of an extra tool along with other things so so yeah. are you using the i have you got the 4 plus now or are you still on the 2 for uh... Uh, I, it's, since I've got back off the tour, that's on my list of things to sort out. Yeah, I want to get two four pluses to to get everything linked up properly in the studio. Yeah, I have to say the four plus is incredibly useful. Just you know, you can throw it into anything and kind of it's just just as a mini patch bay or whatever, and it just becomes accessible all over the place. It's a it's a very utilitarian. I mean, it did get a gold another gold award on. Uh, uh, on Sonic Touch, or at least the, it maintained its gold status. It didn't get a <laughs> specifically gold, but uh, yeah, it's a good piece of kit. So yes, I suppose replacing that is a bit tricky. Um, so Robbie, are you? What are you using your iPad for in the studio environment? You know, integrating. Bearing in mind that you have got you know the audio pass through. I use it, I use it primarily for. There's a few granular sampling things I use on it. And I use a couple of the synths on it, the um, the Waldorf one, uh, okay. the Nave one, and a couple of others. And how do and you I, fi- how do you find the stability of the aggregating audio? Uh, again, it, it, it sometimes it can be a bit flaky, but I, as I say, what I t- it's been all right. I I've got it aggregated with my Apogee Symphony, and then if I know that I'm not going to use it for a project, like I didn't want to use it for the film thing, I just switch back to the dedicated, you know, non-aggregated um, yeah, um, driver situation. Ah, so okay. I, I, I don't leave it active all the time because I must admit I have found it a little bit temperamental. Right. Yeah. I, I, but I, I mean, I, get... I, I do something on the iPad and then I just put it into Logic and then I commit it and that's it. I'm done. Yeah. So I, I don't ever want to, so I don't keep it permanently active in the system all the time to, to like that way. So, yeah. No, fair enough. I can understand why you wouldn't want to do that. Um, and also, you know, committee. Imagine you have a bank of them live, you know, just aggregating them all together via your four, your two MIDI yeah. four pluses. That would be pretty yeah, awesome. But well, having said that, shock horror, I am, I am starting to have this wave of, of coming over me of wanting to, to, to rationalise the studio back down a bit. So, <gasps> what do you mean yeah. back down? Back down to, well, to just down to a really just down to a few things that I really know I love and use a lot. Analog mixing desk and a microphone. Oh no, no, no! I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like a you know, the ultimate Mac Pro, twelve core, and you know the the my monitors and all that, and just very little, just a few analog things, not quite so much sprawling stuff that I've got at the moment. Um, and just you know, just really concentrate on using a few things really well, as opposed to everything a bit vaguely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can understand that. I'm, st- I'm starting to kind of, I, I feel there's something. You know, every time I use the modular and I start to kind of get, you know, I'm always using the Intelligel. I think it's a fantastic synthesizer. I'm starting to fall in love with the Boomstar as a fantastic synthesizer. I feel there's a couple more bits missing, but I, I'm, I'm thinking I'd quite like to kind of do a regular synth jam slot that whatever is in, I'll just incorporate into that and just put those up and just do some real-time stuff. I, I, but I, I'm just sort of trying to get the uh, the nerve together to, to, to be able to loop things and what have you. So anyway, uh, yeah, hmm. I understand your idea for rationalisation. Gaz, I saw your ears prick up at that. Well, <laughs> we it is a bit of a funny thing, isn't it? Like... Um, 
you know, back in the 1990s, I was scraping around for as much bits of kit as I could possibly find and had very relatively very little kit that could, you know, and ah, you know, and dream about this and dream about getting that. And if only this did that. And if only that, you know, had could do. And now I've got so much kit and so much stuff. And it's like we have this is a topic we do come back to quite regularly on Sonic Talk. But this this idea of just too much choice being overwhelmed with possibilities and um it's it is a i mean you know and i often if this topic comes up i you know i talk about my like something like my op1 or something and just going and working it just entirely in that i mean would you ditch your op1 robbie no, no, that's one of the things I would always hold on to. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I, 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 my love affair with that thing just carries on and on and on. Me too, I just, me you know, too. I, I, just, I don't use it, I don't quite use it like you do, I think, with regards to wanting to like use the tape machine and do whole tracks in it. But as a source of inspiration, even when I just plug it up through some pedals and stuff and, and use the synth, it just, I just love it. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, the ultimate, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate form leading yeah. on to creativity for me it really is yeah mm, interesting well I, I recently got the little strap uh you can get these little strap adapters so you can fit it onto a, <laughs> change a strap. my life and strap oh it on. has <laughs> that's the show <laughs> title there the strap on changed my life excellent and they're, they're actually a video view now on the internet are they <laughs> prancing around your house over there uh, well thing is I, it goes across here i mean if I, I could go get it it goes across here and i've realized i play it like it seems a bit ungainly. One hand up this way, one hand this way. <laughs> I play it like <laughs> a Quasimodo style, um, but uh, it's amazing. And uh, I've been doing some performances with it uh, at some festivals. On, on, you know, performing it—a strange thing. Are you wearing but, a cape uh, at the time, like you talked about? Oh no, the cape is coming later. That's uh, uh, the cape. Yes, the yeah. cape might might actually shroud the OP one. It'd have to be a small cape, more like yeah. perhaps <laughs> uh, what what are those things that uh, Victorian gentlemen used to wear, uh, uh, like a smaller cape that went over the an over cape. Okay, yeah, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, th- this has gone far too far. Uh, Needless to say, Sorry. some people yeah. will find the word useful. I mean, I like the idea of it being a kind of utilitarian thing that you just kind of go, yeah. Because, I mean, your only other choices are, you know, either stands, which, you know, can be uh, a generally non-utilitarian or something like the Focusrite iTrack uh, uh, or, you know, the um, Alesis IO Doc, those kind of things which have those additional elements to them. Um, and, you know, they're not always the perfect match but this seems like quite a neat idea that the fact that you could just stand it on something usb it and charge it at the same time yes please that's that's i mean for for 60 quid that's a bargain i think you know even and a light show what the hell and and a hackable arduino board i like the idea of that so that means you could probably figure out all sorts of other stuff you could probably actually hack a uh an ethernet shield onto it and then you know have rtp midi as well if you wanted so what the hell i i am that that's you know that's obviously not written in concrete <laughs> you may not be able to as well but we'll see but nice idea right so what's next um let's see oh yes firmware hacks for a bcf and i don't know if anybody's got one of these but i just like the idea of this the repurposing this is at zach audio zach which is a firmware update to the bcr 2000 which is the uh, behringer kind of multi um knob box uh, they've created a 32-step sequencer, 16 tracks, multiple patterns. And 
I, what I really like the idea of this, I don't suppose, I mean, I don't suppose people are going to rush out and buy a BCR 2000 just for this purpose, although they might do, because step sequences are very much in, in vogue. It has got a couple of MIDI output ports as well, so you do get quite a lot of MIDI connectivity. But just that someone's taken the time and effort to do this, I just really dig it. Um, yeah. I just, and it, it's ingeniously done. I won't play the whole thing because it's actually quite long but uh, uninvolved. But great idea. Can you think, uh, Robbie, I, I don't know whether yeah. you, you've got your rack over there. Are you, have you got any step sequences in there? You were going to get an IntelliGel, weren't you? The Metropolis. Yeah, I've got that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do love that. I had the um, I had the Make Noise one before, that Rene. Right. Uh, it was, but it was just too cerebral for me. I wanted something that was a little bit more kind of... <laughs> it was just all touch buttons and... And it just, I just didn't get on with it. I wanted something that's a little bit more traditional, you know. And that, the, it's, the, the Metropolis is great because it's, it's got all the slide stuff on it as well. And it'll, sync, see, and it'll sequence seat control voltage, which I guess is a major advantage. I mean, obviously, the BCF yeah. won't do, BCR, sorry, won't do that. But what amazes me about those devices is they've been around for so long. Mm. And I've, still, I've, I've got have, one in the cupboard over there. And I've so many people use them for things, you know, and they're still popular now. I mean, one of my favourite artists, Tim Exile, he's got a whole bank of them and he's <coughs> a whole live rigs based around them. And he does amazing stuff with them. They're kind of one of those products. That I know a lot of people who bought them and, and been through quite a few of them because they've tended to break down. But it's, it is it is a good product. Yeah, and it's, well, kind of it's, interesting should, it's interesting you should say that because there are a whole new range of um of Behringer uh, controllers yeah. coming out, which are gonna, which look very interesting as well. But neat, I mean, just brilliant notion of recycling hardware and writing firmware for it. I mean, presumably Behringer, I don't know the history, but they must have opened it up to allow people in there to do that stuff because you'd have to reverse engineer it, presumably. Hmm. Quite a lot of stuff has come out, though, reverse engineered, so I'm not sure. I did have the uh, BCF2000, the fader bank, mm. but uh, sadly it, it blew up. It's what? the only piece of equipment. It, I, I was working and I just heard, <laughs> and, and, and I had a, the, the distinct smell of, of of capacitors that are blown out. Sort of, um, I was gutted actually because I used to use that thing a lot. But um, smell of burning Behringer. Yeah, mm. another <laughs> another possible show title there, but uh, perhaps not quite so good as uh, Strap On. Mm. <laughs> but it's a great idea. I mean, I think it's like. Seventy, it's uh, yeah. it's 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 seventy bucks, isn't it? To to kind of download. I think it's going to be ready mm-hmm. sort of finally from uh, from about mid October, so round about now, I guess. Um, just any, can you think of any other things that have had kind of firmware makeover, or someone's just completely hacked it to do something it was not meant to do? Because it's uh, my my friend's got a Juno. Uh, which one is it? The six or one hundred six? I'm not sure. Kiwi one hundred six. The Kiwi one hundred six. Ah, the Kiwi. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, Kiwi one yeah, Kiwi one hundred six, right? Yeah, and that's that's, that's made it well MIDI extra LFO, all sorts of extra bonuses. Um, well, that involves quite a lot. It's not just the firmware though; it actually involves a, a, a new hmm. board and and, oh, and and more operating. Yeah. There's the uh, what's the MPC? There's a there's a famous MPC uh, firmware hack, isn't there? That's uh, JJ JJRs. JJOS or something. All right. Um, yes, I think I think you're right there. And that 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 really increases the functionality of the. Uh, I'm not sure which. I, I know my friend's got the uh, MPC 500. Is it the small one? Uh, and he he had the mod yeah. done on it. Um, 
Oh, so, yeah. Robbie's Robbie's heading off to the back of the room. There could be some. I've, I've got the ultimate the ultimate repurposing here. So there's oh. the um, the Otto biscuit, right. which is a great um, a great device with bit crunching and filtering and all sorts of stuff on it. But they they changed the firmware so you can reboot it, and when you reboot it, it turns it into a full a full synth. With um, step sequence, with step sequencer and everything on it. Oh, neat! And that, and that was just came like three, three years after this device came out. It just, they just said, "Oh, by the way, we've made a synth for it now." So now it turns it into a synth. So that was like to me one of the best repurposing just from firmware. That is cool. Ever, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess in the chat room, uh, Redwalks, uh, no, uh, thirteen in the chat room says, but that was done by the. Uh, the by auto machines themselves so i suppose it doesn't yeah. strictly count as a yeah. as a third party hack but still you know neat but it was it totally nobody bought when they bought the device they never thought it was going to end up being a synth you know it was like a you know it's kind of like a nice added extra excellent i really like the idea of repurposing kind of because you do get cool hardware and like you say the bcf and the bcr i i, I lent the bcf to somebody i've still got to get it back but i don't think i ever used it in the end because it was sort of um it was when logic control was happening it had a logic control mode but it was a bit obscure and because you've only got a three character display or maybe two character display on it so the the parameter names were a little bit (laughs) cryptic (laughs) shall we say it was a bit grindy for me it used to it was a bit too noisy the automation you know (laughs) a little bit my my bcf i think that was the worst thing about it but but coming back to the bcr though with this mod are you able just to toggle it then between its, you know, I was trying fo- to find that because that would be brilliant. That would be, you know, obviously the, but, but I don't know how you could do that because you'd need, presumably you need to flash the, the ROM in it somehow. So I, I doubt if Behringer were so generous as to put enough memory and storage in there to have two versions <laughs> of an operating system. So right. I, I, I don't know, but I would guess mm-hmm. not. No, that's a shame because it'd be nice if you could get your, get your sequence on the go. And then just toggle it back, and then use the knobs to sort of <laughs> mutate the sequence. Now, you, now you're talking. I think you probably need <laughs> just two BCFs. That would be all BCRs. Right. That would be the way to do it. And then, uh, or have a BCF for controlling and a BCR for the other thing. But yeah, mm. uh, I don't know. I think you probably need some extra. Rob. There, there would. That, in fact, actually, if I remember correctly, there was um, the Jazz Mutant Lima uh, allowed you to do that. You could boot. You could get a mod which would boot between the Jazz Mutant, just the Lima uh, ROM, and the Dexter ROM, because the hardware was exactly the same, if I remember correctly. But uh, sadly, Jazz Mutant, in terms of hardware, are no longer producing stuff, but they do do the... uh, uh, Well, is it Line took over the um, stuff that they... Line! Line! Or (laughs) Line, whichever way you might pronounce it. But yes... um, Fun stuff. Right. Uh, there must be. Uh, actually, this is probably a good time to uh, introduce our sponsors. Obviously, Isotope are with us this week, as with every week. And as you know, if you're a regular follower of the show, uh, they are giving away stuff. The Isotope Fairy weekly bestows a gift upon a random competition um, entrant. Anyway, here's some advertising. <laughs> so uh, don't forget, we're talking about we're talking about RX4. RX4 is probably the most, well, is definitely the most kind of uh, highly regarded audio restoration system. It really is amazing. Uh, basically, 
RX4 has just come out and it adds a whole bunch of new features to the restoration suite. We've got clip gain. You can easily adjust the balance of volume of vocals and instruments with new non-destructive editing feature. Dialogue denoiser is now available as standard, so you can run this as real t- on real-time plugins uh, with, with low DSP footprint, and it's a very effective way of denoising multiple tracks. RX Connect, which is also really cool, works with Pro Tools specifically, and other DAWs you don't allow you to have uh, an audio editor, so you can just fire audio in and out in between them without having to flip between uh, programs. It's all handled with RX Connect. There's Leveler, which uh, automatically balances the volume of your mix. EQ Match, and also Ambience Match, which is very cool, which allows you to take an ambient and match it across. This is the we've seen the clip game there. Uh, lots and lots of extra features. And if you're doing anything with audio restoration or audio production, post production, any of that stuff, then it's well worth checking out. And of course, as ever. It's a 10-day free, fully functional demo, RX4, isotope.com forward slash RX4. Go check it out. And by the way, you know, they're also running a competition. And last week's winner, if I bring up the, the page, um, was, uh, will win a copy of RX4. They had to tweet out, well, I'll, I'll announce the competition first, actually. That's probably easier. So, oh, no, that's not the one. It's that one. That's the one I want. You could win RX4 for yourself. All you got to do, you do need Twitter for this, but it's a very painless sign-up. It's not uh, not an unpleasant process. So what you would do is you need to tweet the hashtag HumRemoval, and you need to mention at SonicNick and at Isotope Inc. That means I'll be able to track all the entrants of the competition. We then uh, add them all up, pick a random number and count from the... Uh, the first entrance to the last entrance and there we have a winner that's how we do it so remember tweet the hashtag hum removal at sonic nick and at isotope inc to enter and win your copy of rx4 and that could be yours and next week we'll announce a winner and that will be it it's very very straightforward so this week last week's winner um let me see who that is here a chap called Dylan Birch, uh, and he tweeted and was picked by the uh, supercomputer, which was controlled by my mouse. Uh, and his handle is at Dylan Birch, all one word, D-Y-L-A-N. So if you're watching Dylan, get in touch, and we will pass on your details to the Isotope Fairy, who will email you the uh, subsequent links and what have you, so you'll be able to enjoy a full copy of Isotope RX4. Okay, right. Um, next up. Uh, Sorry, Gaz, oh. please do go. Uh, Rich Hilton is wanting to join, oh, I believe. Oh, is he? Rich is in the yeah. country. Ah, okay. Let me um, let me just go and um, see what... I think he was... Oh, yeah, I got him. Let me just go and grab him. One second. This is, this is how you know the show is live, folks. <laughs> Put it on me, Nick. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Yes. There he is. Hey, Rich. Uh, You are there. Yes. Can you hear me, Rich? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. This is all working out. And look, you're on the. I even got a lower third for you. I thought you might. You might just wake up because you've been travelling, right? Rich Hilton, of course, is on the road with Sheik as we speak. Oh, that's almost a a rhyme. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. There we go. Okay. So, yeah, Sorry. Rich is uh, ensconced somewhere in a hotel near a venue where he will be playing tomorrow night with Sheik. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Excellent. I'm in, uh, actually, I'm in what I believe is Greenwich uh, near London, and uh, we're playing at the O2 tomorrow. Nice. Uh, 
in in the club indigo indigo to so you've just you've just arrived right so no i've uh this morning at about i don't know eight o'clock nine o'clock i've just awakened (laughs) (laughs) well rich what can i say very thank you very much for joining us and if you're is it a public gig and will people in the area be able to uh, attend buy tickets but apparently it's sold out i wouldn't expect anything less well i'm happy to hear that um very excited about it. We love playing there, and uh, it's a nice sort of intimate venue for us these days, and it's cool. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. The O2, intimate. Indigo, it's a great venue. Oh, it's the Indigo. Ah, there we go. Ah. So, all right. Well, brilliant. Well, nice nice for you to join us, Rich. Oh, you missed a couple of topics, but we're happy to have you aboard. Um, I'm unprepared by the way so i'll riff the best i can but that's I really all right don't. well one of the things that uh, is coming up next which i'm quite interested in actually is that, that the notion of this sort of 4d sound system this came out on the uh on the ableton site now if i press this button yes here we go uh i better turn the audio up we can hear it this is uh, we've seen these things before you know but this is a very interesting uh four-dimensional um sound environment with pillars and a grid of pillars where sound can be raised up and down as well as round and round and left and right and in all directions and uh excuse me what does it mean when someone 4d sound is the company they're based i think they're based in holland uh, and this is a video of uh, founder Paul Oman talking, Uman talking about and uh, about the system. Plus, musician Steeman, Stimming. Understand what it's like. I went to the guys and heard the system. And but if you see here, it's kind of this notion of a grid, but it allows this sort of space to be created with what looks like a pretty incredible surrounding sort of sound type thing there's some of the things that they could do are amazing um th- it sounds quite ambient what you're hearing there they they've actually released his performance on uh, as a they recorded it in ambisonics so it's actually and you can get a sense of the movement you can't i'm presuming getting it exactly the way that it was at, at the venue but you know we seem to periodically see these kind of updates and notions and ideas of sound systems that will change things but this seems like a really interesting performance notion and they they what they're using is Max for Live and iPads and all things to sort of move things around as well as creating these sort of ambiences and blockages so that you can have sound bit, you know like a virtual wall the sound goes the other side of it and the system kind of allow, makes it feel like you're out it's just lots of really interesting stuff oh uh, Robbie you know you do live electronic music um, traveling around a lot lots of festivals lots of kind of that side of things uh, have you seen this kind of thing in operation I mean it looks like it could be kind of expensive mind I'd imagine uh, the thing I've been to, I went, I've seen a few gigs in surround the things. And um, the thing about it is, is that it's so dependent on the venue. And it's great. It's great that people are doing stuff like this. It's, it's almost like it, it's almost crosses the lines, doesn't it, between a gig and music and an art installation in and some sort of installation, because it's it's very dependent on a very controlled environment like that yeah. being set properly. So. The logistics of taking someone like that on the road, I can imagine it's the sort of thing that somebody like Amin Tobin might go, right, for my next show, I'm going to do all my mapping stuff and I'm going to do this and it's going to be only at certain venues, you know, that type of thing. I can see, I can see how that works. But the idea of, of, of somebody touring something like that, I don't see how it could really work. 
Do you think perhaps that part of the issue also has been with these, why some of these things don't get as much momentum as, uh, uh, as you would think, is the ability, the way that they are controlled and imagined and what have you, is sort of not all that interesting it's just almost like the way that they you know that they mix stuff in the in the movies which is 5-1 which is usually you know there's a formula and you have the ambience in the background and the vocals in the middle and you know you move it around a bit but but the, yeah. is there is there room for in in the soundscape is to, to do this kind of stuff well, I mean, it's interesting because I'm just about Howard's just got a new project which actually just launched on pledge music today get that little plug in yeah um but um, we're, I'm just about to do the 5-1 mixes for that project. And it's the first 5-1 project I get to do that isn't basically somebody's live gig that I've mixed in 5-1. So for those sort of gig, for those sort of things, I always want to make it be like you're at the gig and you don't want stupid 5-1 things flying around. It's gimmicky because that's not what happened. You want but that, this, this, project, this project we're doing now is, is very much a studio album which we want to do in five one. So I'm going to get to go crazy with it. So I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting my teeth stuck into that, but it's interesting at the whole surround thing, because of me as a musician and as a producer, I love the idea of it and I'm very excited by the idea of it, but I meet very few other people who are very excited by the idea of it. <laughs> and most general people I know who just happen to be, you know, casual music lovers, it means absolutely nothing to them. So the, who would you get to go to gigs like this? Effectively, you're only going to get a very small demographic of people who are really kind of get a kick out of this whole, you know, hearing music in such an expanded way. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I love it. I personally, I'm all for it, but I don't know many other people I could get excited about it. That's the thing. Mm. No, that's interesting. I don't know, Rich, whether... Because uh, you presumably have done 5-1 mixes. I mean, do you, th- do you think... I mean, this sort of immersive level of uh, of sound, because um, you went to see Amon Tobin, I think, didn't you? You remember because we talked about him. That's the I sort did. of that's the sort of thing that would really kind of uh, enhance a live show like that. But the the size of the audience is going to be quite limited with a system like 4D sound, unless you can glue five or six of them together. Well, in Las Vegas, they have certain physical installations where the room and the sound system are all built together to support a particular kind of presentation. So that would be an example of a place in a scenario where you could see this sort of working in terms of a public presentation. I honestly, because I didn't do the research, I don't know enough about what they're what they're doing specifically to comment on it, except to say that I admire the spirit of adventure that comes behind something like this. It was quite interesting because when you watch the whole thing, there's also a lot of stuff behind it. And you can see that what they're developing are the tools to work in a three-dimensional space, which I'm guessing, you know, you sort of have to a certain degree with 5-1 mixing. But it seems to me that maybe there's... I, I don't know whether there are enough of those to make 5-1 mixing anything other than that kind of creative you know, template that you tend to get with 5-1 albums that are, you know, where... Because we like to... We don't want to hear the lead vocal kind of behind us on the left-hand side. You right. know, it's it's a matter of focus, isn't it? Certainly for sort of Route 1 pop music, perhaps for things that are more experimental and interesting, you, you could do stuff. But... Do you think there's a lack of control software for creating inventive ways to use surround sound or not? I, I honestly don't know because I haven't mixed a lot for surround. Okay. But I can tell you, for example, this. Bob Clearmountain apparently has his board configured in such a way that everything he mixes is also available as a surround mix. There's some sort of uh, 
advanced mystical busing scheme he's come up with uh, for folding out a basically stereo mix into a 5.1. So there are people who are working on this who know a lot more about it than I do. Okay. Yeah. Gaz. Um, Well, Cubase has got fantastic surround sound mixing capabilities in terms of it being, you know, the panners, the surround panners. And I think, you know, I haven't really done much in surround, so I'm not very experienced in it, but but I'm aware that the, mixing tools are, are really good and um a lot of the there's a convolution reverb and most of the convolution impulses are available in sur- with surround versions as well so i think that as an as an environment cubase certainly would make that surround sound accessible you know but um and it, i i am interested in surround sound because i have been listening to albums in surround sound recently the some of the steve wilson well i mean steve wilson from the porcupine tree is becoming yeah like the absolute go-to guy now he's been going back to lots of the old classic prog albums he's done king crimson recently and he's working through the yes catalog at the moment going back to the original multi-tracks of those albums and um rendering you know new uh surround sound mixes and he's doing a nice job with them i think you know they are quite subtle i think um um yeah have you heard the new gentle giant release that he's done no you're he's kidding. Done power, he's done the power and the glory in uh, No way <laughs> This means nothing wow. to me. Yet, but but, uh, but do that's but, a masterpiece. But do you not think that, you know, if surround was gonna really take off to the consumer end, you know, because it did get a fairly big push, it would have done so. Do you think there's actually we don't want the added complication in terms of listening to certainly music that has form and structure that we're all used to you know rock and roll or pop or any of those things do you think we're just not as as a species not ready perhaps for well, for that level of complexity my 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 take on it is this and this is its lowest common denominator most people who've got a partner they don't want speakers in the in the in the lounge <laughs> alone five speakers so the surround speakers end up behind the sofa the center speaker ends up disappearing behind some a bookcase and nobody's ever got a 51 system properly set up hardly anyone has anyway unless well, they live on their own exactly <laughs> that's what i think <laughs> so single Recent- men <laughs> Yeah, I mean, recently, I my 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 hi-fi in my my hi-fi uh, um, amplifier went kaput, so I I was looking at getting it fixed, but I realised I could go out and buy a Sony surround sound system, a uh, big amplifier, surround sound system, big subwoofer, all the stands, all the cables, everything for sixty quid. It was twelve hundred. It was twelve hundred quid. It was a twelve hundred quid system, wow. and I and I was I was wondering about this. I was thinking, well, like, you know, like twelve years ago, fourteen years ago, maybe surround sound was going to be the real big thing, and you know, once the DTS standard had become kind of, uh, you know, the 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 standard, I guess, um, you know. And then I thought, well, lots of people must have rushed out and got them, and then probably I was thinking, if people move house, probably that's when they think when they go to set up their living room. They probably think surround sound. Uh, can't be bothered to not, take the floor up. Yeah, can't can't be bothered. Just 
Yeah, I'll stick with what I'll get is I'll just have one of those kind of 3D buttons on my uh, iPod dock. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, exactly. I know. I mean, you're absolutely right. And it because it's complex to set up, it is because you've got multiple point source and isn't for it to be impressive, you know, to everybody, it has to be set up right. Because I, I, I'm sure if you go to there's a, actually a two blocks that two um, units down from here, there's a hi fi place called Paul Green Hi Fi who, uh, you know, they must sell countless 5-1 systems and have a demo room. And I imagine, you know, they are constantly, you know, when they go in to get traders, they must get lots of trade-ins and stuff. So I'm yeah. guessing perhaps... Um, well, I have to confess, so yesterday I watched uh, Rush 30, R30, Rush is uh, 10 years old now, Rush, uh, the Canadian <laughs> trio, who I'm sure there must be at least one or two fans <laughs> somewhere in the chat room. Uh I watched a concert of theirs from, and, and that was in surround sound, and I cranked it up quite a bit just to have a listen to it. And um, you know, it is a, it is an amazing experience when oh, uh, you know yeah. watching it at home, yeah. watching it, and having that audience, you know, feeling like the audience behind you, and just sort of uh, you know, yeah. I mean, we were talking about that notion of live events in cinemas and why. That's when it makes sense where you can feel like you can hear rows of people behind you that are actually in the venue rather than where you are watching it. I can see where, you know, you might want those psychoacoustics to enhance the experience and maybe, you know, watching Glastonbury broadcast live or what all those kind of things. That's that's kind of I can see where that would work. I mean this I is much more the four D sound stuff is much more geared towards the notion of experimental uh stuff yeah. where you can raise things up and down and move and that that sounds really good, but the system must be fantastically expensive because it has to be put together out of stage of blocks and then multiple speakers, and it, it, it does seem kind of really fascinating but and fun to play with. The one thing that Guy uh, Stimming says is, is, you know, I really enjoyed doing this. I'd like to do more so I can learn how to play the system. But again, you know, mm. this guy's got to actually mix, perform in real time, and then also think about mixing in three dimensions <laughs> in real time too. I wonder which one's going to suffer the most, and, you know, when you put that together, unless you've got another guy involved in the mixing, because in his situation, he's doing it all himself. So, you know, maybe you won't I mean, get I the... Mean, it's, it's like an installation thing. Yeah. It's like something you set up for a purpose. I mean... Like Rick right. said, I remember going to see Love in 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 Vegas, and everyone had like speakers in their in their headset, in the chairs, and everything. And it was an amazing it was an amazing sonic experience. But I mean, that's like a purpose built theatre where it's all there and it's never going to change, and it's all it's all specifically for that one thing. And um, yeah, it's just the practicalities, like you say, of how you could scale it up and. Where, where it would actually be applicable mm. but i mean it sounds exciting yeah well worth watching the video there's two actually to the to, let me see if i can find it i think i've got it here uh even on the web yeah this is 4d sound new dimension so there's this is the space that you can see there um which has these kind of posts i think there's 16 of them and subwoofers in the floor and then one, two, three speakers high, I think, or three or four speakers high. And then there's another video uh, for the down where they're talking about what they use to control, and they're using Max for Live and Ableton Live, where the actual movement is sort of integrated with the clip launching and what have you. It's really interesting, actually. And then you can get hold of the full 4D set, which is actually quite nice to listen to. It's an interesting way of listening. It's quite ambient, uh, but you can hear that there's quite a lot of movement, although, it's like I say, it's not quite the same as being there, I'd imagine. But uh, jolly well worth it. So do check it out um okay then right um here's uh here's something else this is i haven't got a video for this but 
these are the kind of two aspects of the latest kind of notion of how to release an album. You know, obviously we've got two super heavyweights in the uh, in the world. You know, we've got the the U2 album, uh, which in this independent uh, story was the, the the biggest tier PR disaster. Where what they do, oh, if I actually switch that on, you'll be able to see it. This is on the independent site. Um, they basically gave away or they got access to all 500 million YouTube subscribers, iTunes subscribers, and they all got a free copy of the album, um, which, you know, on the face of it, sounds like quite a good idea. And I believe Apple paid them re- reportedly like $100 million. So, ka-ching, job done. One album sale. Everybody gets to listen to it, whether they like it or not. And that's kind of mm-hmm. one approach. And then, of course, the other approach was the uh, Tom York uh, Radiohead, where they've created this kind of BitTorrent um Paywalled BitTorrent, which I downloaded. This is the album. Oops, this is the album. Uh, if I go back there, uh, it's called uh, "Tomorrow's Modern Boxes," and I th- when I first posted it, it was at about oh, hundred thousand, and now it's at two point one million. Six dollars a download. It was quite an easy yeah. process. I downloaded it. It's a great album, really electronic, and 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 but nice quality. Sort of sounds like a lot of analog electronics going on there. Two very different approaches. Yes, how did you feel about uh, receiving a free YouTube, uh, free uh, um, U2 album? Wow. I mean, talk about a PR misfire. I think it's been a terrible, uh, a terrible idea in retrospect. I mean, I thought it was, you know, I thought, ah, okay, but I was worried that it was going to backfire. And I didn't anticipate just quite the extent of vitriol, which has been um, coming out as a result of it. And, but, um, you know... I thought, okay, the whole presentation was incredibly cringeworthy. And uh, oof, I think both Apple and U2 have severely damaged their kind of, um, I think, I think it was a, I think it was a, a silly move, really. Do you, I don't see how. I mean, you know, I mean, mm. the way that the way that they looked at it is because obviously their tour, you know, they do the, mm. the in the round their last tour grows something like seven hundred and sixty million worldwide. You know, the the PR the the albums now for for you two at least seem to be a vehicle for getting people to come to the show because that's where they're making the money. I mean, obviously, hundred yeah. million hundred million quid is fairly handy, but. It's just the way they did it, though, you know. I think, you know, and like Tim Cook in his kind of creepy voice going, wasn't that just the greatest single you've ever heard? And I was thinking, <laughs> no. You know, it just things like that just made me just go, ooh. Um, but, you know, I'd, I've had a little listen to some of the album, and it's, you know, it's okay. It's you 2 I guess. Yeah, I must thing. admit, it sounded all right. I just, yeah, but, uh, maybe they've kind of not, not done it in the other way. I don't know. I, did this get a lot of press in the States, Rich? I mean, you know, that Apple always does, and that's the whole point of it, I suppose. Well, it's not like I follow the U.S. press as apart from the online press. Sure, which yeah. Is an international thing anyway. But, yeah, there's been a lot of uh, anger directed towards them all, but do I think this is actually going to have any sort of significant or lasting impression on either Apple or U2? Absolutely not. Not only that, next year they will be filling football stadiums mm-hmm. all over the world when they tour. <laughs> Nobody's going to care about any of this, and the album's actually good. That's true. Yeah, That's it does true. sound good, actually. I do like yeah. the sound of the album. When I first heard it, I was, I was funny, because I thought, oh, this sounds like a totally different guitar sound. It almost sounds like Jack White. And then someone said, oh, Jack White produced it. Did he really? So was, yeah, Jack White, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I did not know that. That is yeah. really interesting. No wonder it sounds so good. Yeah, but Jack I mean, White this? yeah, yeah, 
Wow. I think I think there were two producers. I don't know if he did he did he did at least half of it, I think. Wow. And then if somebody else who did the rest, yeah. But yeah, so it's what it's got a different different vibe, hasn't it? But I mean it was a it was yeah, I mean I I get I know what you're saying, Gaz, about the presentation part of it. But like 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 Rich says, it won't won't have make a blind bit of difference. It, they'll still they'll still just annihilate the world of touring next year. Yeah, that's and, true. And like it just, say, they got paid all that money. It's probably more money that they got paid there than they would have made from selling it. Yeah. No, oh, God. Definitely. I mean, Definitely. Thing, yeah. Yeah. But they were saying, though, it's the biggest release in history because, you know, 500 million people have got this, you know, and all things like that is, was just like, uh, come on, you know. What's interesting, bit. though, I, Bono was saying that they're working closely with Apple to to develop this new music delivery system of, uh, that's going to revitalize people's interest in buying music again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt that uh, you know there's a bigger plan, and you know that, yeah. and and I, and I hope you know I obviously you know people think oh he's so far removed from reality, he's such a megastar, and it you know, but I'm sure they're doing it for some good reasons, and obviously they have business managers that are trying to maximise the amount of cash they can get out of every single thing that they do. I mean, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't suppose there's anything all that wrong with that notion. I mean, it's kind of what what you do if you're trying to make a living, I guess. Uh, interesting. Sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah, go. I think they're doing what they need to do to have fun. Yeah. These guys don't make the money. No, I'm sure they yeah, don't. They don't. <laughs> they're not doing it because they're trying to make more money. The reason why it's getting hyped the way it is is because Apple is trying to sell product. But and and in who you know, let he who has never tried to sell something and hyped it uh, cast the first stone. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but it's, not, it's this is it's the, the hubbub is just more good publicity for them. Yeah. And by the way, they keep coming to our shows. Excellent. <laughs> telling us things like we're going to be seeing a lot of them next year. So I don't know what that means. Right. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know, maybe a whole bunch of cash, Rich. I can only hope. <laughs> I do, I do I hope so. I don't know about that. But uh, like I said, they, they've come to at least five or six of our shows in the last year and a half. Are you talking wow. U2 or, or Apple? Or yeah. Both? Oh, right. yeah. It's a U2. Oh, cool. Nice one. Uh, coming back to the Tom York one, one of the things I thought was quite interesting was the fact that you can see how much it's costing and you can see how many people have downloaded it. So it's quite a transparent um, yes. process. So, you know, so I mean, what's very successful, two- I think. They said an experiment. I think six million, you know, well, no, more, whatever it well, is. Well, $12 million, I guess. $12 million in two weeks. That'll, $12 million to make eight tracks of electronica. I think that's a bargain, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Could have got a makeup artist for the video, though, I thought. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's quite amazing. Um, when they did the um, the uh, In Rainbows album, and then it was as a pay what you want, they never ever declared how much money that they made from that. And I thought that was bad sporting, really. <laughs> you know, so at least this way, you kind of go, okay, this is, this is a, 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 you know, an incredibly um, valid way of distributing music in terms of, direct sales you know um so if it's trying to prove a point the point is uh it's well i mean obviously tom york is in one of the you know biggest Big, rock bands biggest in, ba- yeah in, exactly biggest bands in, in the, the world. in the world but but in terms of uh showcasing a, a new distribution method that is not part of the apple itunes thing no, that's absolutely. not part of, it, it know, cuts out the 30 percent thing i mean one thing that um, mm-hmm. actually echosonic said in the chat room maybe apple would uh would be best off to maybe they should one thing that would be really good how about supporting non uh 
What did he say, Ecosonic? Uh, how about a free album of the listener's choice? And then Apple just distribute that to the artist. That would be really cool because then, you know, maybe maybe the, maybe 300 million of those people would be you two anyway. <laughs> but Apple's doing but this to, to satisfy their own motives, which yeah, is sure. to promote their products. Well, They're that, not doing this as some altruistic wish to show everybody that, you know, all music is good or any of that. It's not... This is pretty well, that, clear to understand. This is well, it is, yeah. Well, no, hang, hang on a minute, Rich, because, I mean, let's face it, that this was all to go with the launch of the iPhone 6, right? Which it's not like they need any extra publicity for that, surely. I mean, it's already kind of, you know, everybody in the world knows it's coming. So then we begrudge their right to market it effectively with you too. No, I wasn't saying that at all. I was just saying as an alternative, you know, in terms of PR and how they were perceived it may it, mm. there may have been another way that would have you know come off equally as well and and but 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 seen to be more benevolent that's all an alternative view i suppose and then all of course you've got to take into account that all of u2's back catalogs started selling really well on itunes as well well according mm. to this article it only sold about 6 or 7000 extra copies actually oh, which really was well. which uh, was... i read a very rose tinted review about that then I think uh, I, uh, 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 I can't, yeah, I did highlight this, but I can't see um, what happened to the highlight. I text. somewhere that it really massively boosted the sales of this. Oh, great. Back. Oh. I mean, but. you know, let's face it, who wouldn't? You know, that, that if you've ever been in a band where there's people sniffing around who either, you know, when, when certainly when I was remixing, you know, they were, and producing albums and what have you, the notion that one of our tracks would be licensed for the, one of the now that's what I call music collections was like, yeah, that's what you want because you know you're going to get a big chunk of license fee and you think, great, you know, it means we're going to get paid, you know, that, so there's, there's no reason why any of this is sort of bad in any way. I mean, and it, I think it's just the fact that they're so, two of the massive mega brands perhaps could have been seen doing it in a slightly different way, I suppose. I mean, you know, I, I don't have a problem with... Going yeah. back to the late 60s and the early 70s, record companies used to put together compilation albums of their artists' work where there would be like 10 or 12 tracks on the album. Each track would represent a different artist in their roster. Right. I mean, yeah. it, this kind of... I mean, on some level, this kind of marketing has gone on as long as there's been a music business to support, a record business, that is. Absolutely, um, yeah. Well, in the same way that there would be those tours that would be all the acts on a, you know, so you just, and it's what X Factor does. It's just, it's just a bit untasteful when you feel you're being sort of. Uh, and how, how much is this? Because it's you too, basically. Because because there is there is. Let's face it. So many people like to knock you too for whatever reason they've got, whether they can't stand on or whatever. Here, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, you always sense that. If there's a way of knocking you two for whatever or him or whatever, somebody's going to do it, whether it's tax evasion or whatever. So it's probably it's just an unfortunate combination. Perhaps it might have played out a bit differently if it was somebody else. <laughs> I, I remember when, when Bonner was uh, Man of the Year, a time Man of the Year, I think it was it was joint with Bill Gates or something. And in the, in the article, it was going, I can't remember exactly the figures, but it's something like 100 million people are still alive in large part down to various things that Bono had been involved in. And I was kind of thinking, well, there's no criticism on the man then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's no, totally fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think I, I I think, you know, the other thing is is you're bound you know, you're bound in, in that sort of position, you're bound to be not. And if you look at it from another point of view, you know, it could have been just a 
Rihanna or one of those sort of deals. And therefore, you know, the publicity and the marketing surrounding that would have been highly sexualized and just sort of would have been also completely inappropriate. So I suppose, you know, in many ways, there are, you know, which which of those evils, if you're being given a choice, would you kind of prefer to have thrust down your throat? You know, if that's what you feel is happening, you know, I don't personally have a problem with it, but, you know, obviously a lot of people do. Yeah. Anyway, phew, got that off our chest. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so what's next? What, religion, politics? No, let's, uh, let's go. I know what we'll do. Let's go to the future of touch. I don't know whether I can play this because uh, I'll probably get busted. But if I go to the I web, think, yeah. this is the Microsoft. The Adobe released a video yesterday or the day before, which is a bunch of uh, creative applications starting off with audio. I'm putting in an ad here. No, here we go. I'll, I'll play it a little bit. Starting off with there's video and some audio mixing and the notion of, you know, they're putting all their eggs into this kind of, they think the Microsoft Surface, for instance, is going to be the way forward to go to push the envelope for whatever reason. But there's some very intriguing looking uh, examples going on here. And obviously some big bucks going into it, but it just raises an interesting question if I stop that. As to who might get there first, because obviously, you know, Apple have had the monopoly for kind of, what, wow, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine years with iOS? I mean, we're, you know, we get touch on our phones and Android and what have you, but it's certainly on the desktop, you know, one could argue that uh, Microsoft are way ahead because it's been there for a while. And when, what do we have, Sonar? I know we've, we've talked about mixing on coffee tables and that kind of thing, but just the idea of integration where the best route would be for these things to actually have some purpose because you know we've learned with the ios scenario we've had some amazing innovations in how to use a touch interface for like gearing parameters and contextualizing menus and there's a whole lot of really brilliant innovations that have happened on that platform that need to be i guess turned into a language of touch if it's ever going to be successful i know robbie you know you're very specific about your workflow your work environment you know you've got an ipad involved in your scenario do you think there are there is a future here or do you think you know are we the old guard effectively you know kids who don't know any better are they going to be going yeah this is fantastic i mean this i'm just sort of curious to uh, explore this i mean i i've i've had a long on off love affair with the idea of touch right from having a you know i had a jazz mutant lima um, back back when they came out and i set up loads of elegant surfaces for it and used it live and all that kind of thing and um uh, yeah and then the ipads and all that and then you know briefly looking at that so the stephen slate thing recently about possibly and i i don't know i just i just find myself the whole thing is with controllers i i end up buying controllers and i use them for for a season and then i always end up going back to what i always do I don't have anything like that that I've that I've bought that's been, that's remained a mainstay in my setup for any amazing period of time, mm. um, and mm. I, and I and I don't know, I don't know if that's just laziness because you just you you know you can you end up having a workflow because of the way you work that's quick because you just know how to do it and then anything that comes along which you have to sort of invest and change your way of thinking kind of you just think I haven't got time for that I'm busy doing work I've got no time for messing around with this sort of thing. I don't know, but I mean, I, I do, I do occasionally get seduced back in by something, and then, but it never seems to stick around long enough for me. 
Do you think that's mainly because just because of the language of the touch GUI is just not being, you know, developed strongly enough? Yeah, maybe. maybe. And, and and also there is that whole thing, isn't there? I mean, even if you work on an iPad in the studio and you like you go, OK, I've got the I've got the app for the for logic where I could ride faders. I have got like a euphonics artist control with faders, which is the only controller pretty much I use now. And I use it a lot for riding individual parts in string when i when i score string stuff i like to do all the string rides individually on a fader and i can you know listen to the speaker and i've got my finger on a physical fader and i can feel it moving up and down and i all that's great whenever i try and do that with a touch device i end up just end up looking down at the fader because i just don't you know i don't i don't have that don't know where your finger is yeah because it's not confidence just to be able to listen i find it distracting Uh, okay so I don't know if anyone else feels the same about it. Hello, Gaz. I mean, we we started Sonic Touch because we were both sort of heavily enthused. Or, well, you especially were really enthused by the whole notion of the iPad and stuff. I mean, do you see it moving to the desktop? Because, I mean, so far, Microsoft is pretty much the only game in town when it comes to actually integrating, you know, Touch into desktop applications, right? Well, we were testing things yesterday, weren't we, Nick? Me and you sort of just sort of trying some of the, you know, yeah, we got a Surface Pro 3 here um, yeah. to see how it would integrate. Limited testing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quali- quantitative, I would say, but yeah. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, so it is quite interesting in a way that uh, something that there's there's plenty that can be learned from the iOS, um, you know, uh, the fact that iOS has been around for a while and that certain idioms have, have come into being. Like uh, you were talking about the idea that, when you touch on something in a touch thing and you drag your finger out and the amount of... The gearing, um, yeah, so the ratio and that the, sort of the, the ratio. So, you know, I think that there's plenty to learn from the touch thing. Um, we're seeing some things coming out now. Like like the Apple the, the Apple phone has got this, has got a touch with a pressure. Um, and I think we'll see lots more pressure stuff coming out. And I think that's the key. I think once the once the pressure element starts to become widely adopted into touch devices, mm. I think, you know, so your finger, if you just run your finger across, um, you, you know, it might not do anything. But if you run your finger with pressure, it will right. drag, the, you know. But do, you, uh, do, you, do you think perhaps we're just being hoodwinked because essentially manufacturer wants as little moving parts and bits and pieces to anything that they make as possible? If they could just sell us a glass screen with a small computer behind it and then update the software and come up with other things, that's brilliant because less things to go wrong, less parts to make on the outside. I'm talking, obviously, there's lots of stuff going on, on the inside. And we're just being kind of almost... Um, emperor's new clothes a little bit to it you know we like the idea of it because it's new and neat but actually in practice it really doesn't have all that much to offer well you know certain things the touch thing is brilliant for as we've you know explored i mean uh it's a really good way of um uh well like actually yesterday one of the things i thought was really good we were using a stylus on the surface yes. and I, I was drawing in automation, automation yeah. and the automation i could draw on uh, it was used, it was uh, just running ableton live on the surface pro and i was drawing automation in and i was drawing this with this fantastic amount of detail the automation and uh i was thinking 
yeah you see there's a that's a that's that was a winner wasn't it i mean yeah. that was uh that was a really good approach and you know speculated about running a four bar loop and having a lot of automation channels opening and then just drawing in like real-time automation uh and thinking so changing the workflow to to adapt to the technology i suppose is is, is kind of what yeah. we're talking about. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, I don't know, Rich. I know you you have strong feelings about the way that you work, and you know the fact that it doesn't, you know, for, certainly for mixing in the way that you're working, there isn't. You haven't seen anything yet that kind of will sway you from that. But do, I mean, do you think this is an inevitable? Mar- you know, inevitably we're going to end up with touch. Just I know we do keep coming back to this, but it's becoming stronger and stronger with this kind of uh, video from uh, Adobe. If you get the chance to look at it, there's some very impressive looking kind of techniques and ideas in there. I don't know how much of it's all real. They would have to, what would, it, what would it take for, for you to go, Hey, you know, I could use that. That was definitely something that's going to work for me. I suppose. You- well, when I need to be turning a knob, I turn a knob. Yeah. And when I need to be pushing a fader, I push a fader. But as far as mixing goes, I've always wanted to mix on a computer screen. When I back when I was doing console automation in the early '80s, I wanted the control afforded me by seeing the automation laid over the audio I was actually doing. I always wanted this, and I'm quite happy to have it. So you mouse, so you're mousing it effectively and creating curves and drawing in. For, for the most part, but if I need a filter sweep or something to occur that takes place better on a knob than it does on a mouse, I'm quite happy to grab the knob. Sure. Pardon the expression. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, in, in t- certainly in the off, off professional side of things, you know, I mean, I, I know you probably have an iPad and an iPhone. And so that language of of interfacing with specific devices yeah i see them is that language is becoming second nature in those aspects of what you do there must be a point where that starts to cross over certainly you know i found you know where certain things i'm going oh yeah i can just oh no i can't it's not one of those you know you get that kind of confusion um and the compartmentalization of it do you think that that's important to keep it that way Maybe, but maybe not for some people. Like, for example, I tend to work out of my head. So I envision a result and I think about ways to get that result that might be effective in terms of providing something like what I'm envisioning, which usually isn't half of what it should be. But uh, for other people, they need these things around to create the inspiration to develop the ideas. So to have a bank of knobs that are controlling things ready to go so you can just start twisting things to see where you go – and I could name a whole bunch of people whose entire performances kind of go that way, but I won't. Um, that's a pretty valid creative way for people to generate possibilities for themselves. So I'm not, you know, <coughs> dug in about this religiously. It's just as it relates to my own work, I think, okay, I need a filter sweep here. How's the best way to get it? Well, grab the filter knob and turn it. You know, that'll, that'll work just fine. You know, or I need the modulation to change in such and such a way. Well, grab these two or three knobs and do this little choreographed dance with them, and great, I get this result. I could draw it in on screen, but it isn't as much fun, and it uh, probably won't be as effective, and it'll take longer. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It's interesting, though, to see um, that there's this sort of strong intent from another player, which I think can only be a good thing, as long as we don't end up with this kind of, we think touch should be like this, and it's a completely different set of, you know, language skills and movements and, and, and standards. That's the thing I worry about, that we end up with kind of two different kinds of touch interfaces, and you're either a kind of thumb and finger person, or you're, a, you know, whatever it may be, you know, there's, there's, there's <laughs> these... But again, there's nothing wrong with that. You had, uh, 
the original Moog wheel configuration where you had your mod, your pitch bend and your mod, and then you had Roland's side to side thing, and Oberheim had a lever, and yeah. uh, Arp tried the proportional pitch controller with buttons, and um, it's all you know. On some level, it's all good. I don't mean to be cliche about it, but uh, whatever stimulates your creativity is cool. Yes, I agree. I, I suppose I think on an OS level where you're interfacing with applications that work on either platform, there needs to be some standardization of it. And I guess that's going to be down to the developers themselves to write the hooks into, you know, whatever Microsoft offer in Windows 8.1 and 9 and 10 and wherever it's going so that we're able to do that. But the standard is achieved through the communication medium, which in our case mostly is MIDI. In other words, that's where everybody, that's where the rubber meets the road for all of these things. They have to send out MIDI controllers numbered between 0 and 127 in order to be effective in this world in creating those kinds of controllers for now. When we move past MIDI into some other standard, if we ever do, because it's been for over 30 years, yeah. then there will be that. But the, the, the joining point is that language which we've all sort of agreed to, which is MIDI, which allows these things to control multiple devices you know well, that's not, a, no that's a fair point sorry robbie you were just going to come in isn't there a whole isn't there a whole generation of touch coming um where where the touch the touch gives you some sort of tactile feedback back oh hap- some sort of haptic stuff yeah i i i've, I've seen a few things that, that, that hint at that i know it may be you know a, a while away but surely that becomes the that becomes then the kind of the holy grail of the two worlds meeting. A morphing you, surface. That, that that's a, interesting. That we configurable it, yeah. Yeah. We did see we uh, in some time back. I remember we looked at uh, something that would uh, allow that actually created a three dimensional space that kind of uh, three dimensional shapes on the touch surface itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I don't know what happened to that, but I'm guessing it's probably quite uh, complicated. I mean, God knows what they have to make that out of. What kind of stuff is there but uh, yes i take your point i mean i suppose there are people working on this stuff but it just hasn't come to a... it's 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 the flexibility of having something that's configurable and instantly changeable in its usage but could at the same time have some sort of tactile feedback so that you don't you know you you get the best of both worlds surely if if that that technology must be being developed because it's it's the kind of missing link really isn't it yeah I would guess so. And, and that, again, it's sort of almost like re- emulating <laughs> moving parts and multiple components, which is kind of what they're moving away from. So it's, it's a sort of interesting full circle emulation of that, maybe. What about motorized faders? Yeah. Like well, yes. Same sort of deal, I guess. I mean, it's sort of the history of that giving you the, feed, the, uh, the device giving you feedback to what you've already done and allowing you to modify that in real time. You know, it's uh, there and uh, you can do it with joysticks. You can do it with knobs. I mean, I think motorizing things has its own set of problems and noises and things like that. But uh, there is some history to this. And uh, I I am encouraged and excited by the the way people are interested in it and and in developing it, even though I may not use a lot. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because yeah. was it Cubase? There's a couple of, uh, and, and I think Sonar as well do it, where there's a point where you just roll, if you leave your mouse pointer over a parameter, a physical uh, MIDI piece of hardware will then adjust that parameter. That seems to me could be quite a good, it, it, it's never really been 
you know, I'm sure people use it all the time, but it's not. An, it seems like a quite an, a great standard because you could have, you know, two, two or three kinds of things: latching button, a knob, a fader, uh, whatever, something else that you could just have to assigning to sort of specific hotspots on a screen that are, are constantly assigned. But I think I've talked about it before, where you could just go that one, that one, and that one. Those fingers there. You know this knob and this knob, and so it always goes. My thumb is going to be the fader, my finger is going to be the knob, and you say or as many points on the screen that you touch. You could then have physical controls there, latching or non-latching, and those are the sort of things that need to perhaps develop so we can have a cross. We can cross the divide between the screen and what's physically around us on our desks or what have you. I, I seem to I seem to remember there being something with Braille. I can't remember what it was now, but it was something that kind of created. You know, almost like kin, like a Braille Kindle or something. I can't remember quite what it was, but it it would change yeah, little seen. bumps. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, you know, there could be something in that, couldn't it, for mm. adapting some of that, some of that technology. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, suffice to say, um, we're not there yet, but I mean, that's quite a major, I mean, that that particular video sends a couple of messages, doesn't it? It's one of them is kind of two fingers up to Apple, we're doing our own thing and we've got the cloud and look where we are, where are you? And there's also just the, the statement of intent. And hopefully, you know, that means if they open up the ability to do this, which is what Apple did with iOS, for smaller developers to kind of hook into that sort of stuff without having to kind of jump through 10 million page legal documents and promise their children and the moon on a stick and all that kind of stuff, which you tend to get with large corporate entities, you know, hopefully that we'll start to see that kind of development. And then, you know, then just generally the whole thing will move forward in whatever way we allow it to i suppose as users oh right anyway i think that's probably it for tonight it's uh we're we're heading towards uh the end of office hours here in uh, the uk and i know uh, we're actually all in the uk usually obviously rich is uh rich is here too uh, i guess it's still morning on clockwise time here so i know you've got the curtains <laughs> drawn if you keep them drawn till it gets dark then when you go out it'll feel like the end of the day and you'll i'm sure you'll get back onto clock you've got a sound check tonight rich no, no, actually, I have a nice dinner plan tonight with a friend, so uh, quite looking forward to that. Ah, and if awesome. I draw those shades, it would be so bright back there, you wouldn't see me at all. Actually, what's quite of interesting, that look, what it looks like is that giant monolith from 2001, <laughs> with this light shining behind it. <laughs> if I play the Sonic State intro, we'll have that kind of choral vibe, and then if you just get the monkey suit on, Rich, then we've got the show right there. <laughs> anyway rich hilton thank you so much for joining us i appreciate your time is precious when you travel like this so uh, very much appreciate you joining us and i hope you have a great show uh, i'm thank only you. sorry i can't be there with you but uh i'm um, sadly my um commitments this week are legion it's okay i'm glad to be here and thanks for having me that's all right you're always welcome and back to Robbie Bronneman there in Robot Studios, where no doubt he's got to go back. I, I'm sure the messages are coming through. You said you delivered that 20 minutes of audio with only three adjustments. I'll bet you you're looking at your inbox with trepidation when they go, ah, just one thing. No, no, no. It's all, it's all good. They've all signed off on it. It's hey, all done. When's the next batch of work then? Have you got another kind of tranche of uh, things yeah, to do? Yeah, we've got to do the next bit in January. Oh, so right. it's a bit of time. But um, no, it was it was, it was good because they they said things like yeah, just wondering whether that sweep at the end could just the reverb <laughs> one a little bit longer. Went, yeah, that's all right. We can do that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Robbie. A pleasure to have you as ever. And uh, I'm not sure what Gaz is doing there. Gaz seems to be firing up the OP1. He's got a strap on. 
<laughs> I'm gonna. I'll tell you what I might do then. If you're gonna do that, I'm gonna... I don't seem to be able to. Mine's not playing. Wow! There he goes. <laughs> so Very yes. Good. My, my, uh, unfortunately, my, um, <laughs> mine seems to have broken, so I can't play, uh, my MIDI seems to have bonked out, so I can't, Aww. I can't play along with you on the Boomstars. Uh, people have been <laughs> asking in the chat room, um, yes, Boomstar review will be coming. The reason it hasn't come out yet is because I'm waiting for a replacement for one of them. There was, uh, obviously damaged in transit somewhere, so I want to compare the two filters, that's why. Anyway, back to you, Gaz. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> we'll see you again soon, and thank you for your OP1-ism. Oh, look, Rich has got something Ooh. there on his iPhone as well. I wasn't sure. Look at that. Something else. So I can't do anything. Oh, yeah, look at this. Over to you, yep. We got a live jam. There we go. <laughs> sort of. Anyway, folks, thank you very much. Uh, that's it for Sonic Talk number 378. Remember, if you want to win a copy of Isotope RX4, I think I have the uh, page here. Don't forget, you need to tweet out hum removal, hashtag hum removal to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And don't forget, watching on YouTube, subscribe for God's sake. Why wouldn't you? Anyway, that's it for this week. See you later.